Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, South Valley. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, good to see you all. Don't forget to wake welcome the people online. People online, good morning. It is good to have you with us. We welcome you to South Valley. Thanks for joining us from where you are. Introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Pastor John, and I'm from South Valley. I'm one of the team members Slow here. Down. I'm the executive Slow pastor Slow here. Slow down. And I have a wonderful opportunity to come before That's you. way too slow. Just and talk. share God's word with you this morning. We're in our second week of the Engage series, and we're going to be talking about confrontation. Conflict? We're going to be talking about conflict, <laughs> and specifically confrontation conflict? in marriage. Conflict in marriage is what we're going to be talking about. I've had the privilege of being married to my lovely wife for 25 years. 26? I've been married for 26 years <laughs> to my lovely wife. Does anybody else relate to that? Anybody else hear their spouse's voice in their head? They've been together long enough. Yeah, I'm not the only one. Yeah, so it's smile. great to be married to smile. my wonderful smile. wife. I'm supposed oh, to smile now? That's no, little, that's okay. That's a little creepy. Just, a little creepy. Just talk. You're going to do just fine, honey. Hey, if you can relate to that, see if you can relate to this. Watch the screens. Why'd you park there? I don't know why you parked there. Why? Why would you park there? I don't know why. Oh, I can't take it, man. I lose it. Fine! Tell me where to park, boss. Tell me where you want me to park this car, please. Oh, my God, you're mad. You have anger problems. No, I have wife problems. Because I park this car all the time by myself. I never get mad. I'm pretty sure it's you. I've never once parked my car and said, why did I park here? Why would I park here? Anybody can relate to that? Yeah, yeah, my wife helps me drive all the time, yeah. So again, good morning, everybody. It's an opportunity for me to be with you, and uh, it's a privilege to be with you. I, I have the opportunity to talk to you about conflict. I'm not quite sure how I got stuck with this one, other than I didn't want to engage conflict, and I just said, okay. So hopefully, uh, I will give you some tools to be able to use. We are going to be talking about conflict in marriage, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you've been married a long time or a short time, if you're dating, if you're single, what we are going to be talking about pertains to you because we're all in some kind of relationship. We go about our day-to-day -day lives and we interact with people. So these tools can be used uh, in your daily life, but they can also specifically very much be used in your daily life as a married couple. And I'm going to be in focusing on, on giving you some things in regards to tools you can use in your marriage, as well as five steps that you can use during conflict to hopefully diffuse that conflict and allow you to be in a healthier place in your relationship. So I'd like to open uh, in a word of prayer with you if you just bow your heads. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the privilege of being together. We thank you for your word. And we pray that today as we look into your word, it would guide us. It would speak to our hearts and help us to take you in in a way that we would grow in our faith and understanding of who you are. We would grow in our relationships, Lord, that you would come into our lives in a way that only you can to bring peace into our homes, peace into our relationships, and grow our relationships, specifically our marriages, in a way that would honor you and that would be a light to the world of what a godly marriage looks like, Lord. So again, we come before you. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app, I'd like you to open it up. And I'm going to set the stage. If you turn to Genesis 2.15, we're going to be looking at that passage there. It's also going to be on uh, the screens. This is the first interaction between a man and a woman. If you look at Genesis 2, 15, 24, it says this, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the wood, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Okay, so we have the story many of us are familiar with. We have this guy, Adam, that God created, and he's in this beautiful place called the Garden of Eden, and he's alone. God sees that he's alone. It's not a good thing, so he wants to find the right helper for him. He brings animals to him, and Adam is doing his naming thing, naming all the animals, probably getting it wrong, and Eve probably corrected that later, but he's naming the animals, and then he sees that it's bad, and so he creates Eve. He creates the first woman. And Adam exclaims, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And we are told the two are united as one. And that sets the stage of God's design, God's perfect design. The two are one in the Garden of Eden. They are united. Someone once said this, woman was made out of the side of Adam, not out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be loved. So I pose some questions for you this morning. Husbands, how are we doing on protecting our wives? How are we doing on loving our wives? Wives, how are we doing with being the helper that is just right for your man? How are you loving your husbands? Are we walking through life trampling on each other or are we walking united as one side by side? Now it says further in Genesis 3, 6, the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. So even though God told both of them 
explicit instructions on what to do, do not eat this fruit, they messed up. And Adam went, okay, and just took that first bite. And then when God called him out, just like a man, he pushes the blame somewhere else. He pushes the blame on God. He says, the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree, uh, the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It's your fault. He points the finger. And then Eve doesn't do any better. She passes the blame. She says, when God asked her, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So I mention all this to remind us that everything got messed up a very long time ago. God's design started out perfectly and then sin came into the world. And conflict, blame, resentment, pointing fingers, all those ugly things came into existence. So with that being said, I just wanna remind us that we live in a world where conflict is inevitable. Troubles are gonna happen, trials are gonna happen, but we have a God that can provide us peace. It says in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, when we have conflict in our marriages, we can engage them in an ugly way, we can engage them in a blaming way, we can retreat and not deal with it and harbor those feelings and they build up. And like Chris mentioned in introducing that song, they grow roots that are deeper and deeper in your heart and your heart gets hardened. So I know in, in my marriage, when I was first starting off in marriage with Amy, I am the kind of person that does not like confrontation. I am a pleaser by heart. I have no boundaries. I, I want to make everybody happy. And Amy is the kind of person who wants to resolve things. Hey, if we got an issue, let's talk about it. Let's get it out on the table. So we would have our conflicts, our arguments. And the problem with me is I don't have any gray area. I'm either happy and I'm here or I go to here really quickly when that button gets pushed. And I get ugly. And so when I would get ugly, I know that that would hurt my wife, but I would get ugly. And eventually, in my mind, if I got ugly too much, my wife's not gonna put up with it anymore and she's gonna leave me. So rather than working on my heart and going, well, let me not get ugly, I decided to just eat it all. It's all right, I'm just, we're not gonna argue. We're good. You're good, you're right, my bad. And so that kept on going on. And that started frustrating Amy. Because she can't solve the problem if she doesn't know what's going on. She can't change if I don't talk to her and tell her what's hurting me or what I'm dealing with. And so this all came to a head one day and it was one of the most enlightening things. And I believe that God spoke through my wife. We were at it. I was retreating. I didn't want to talk about it. And she said, look, we need to talk about this. Tell me what you're thinking. I said, no, I'm not gonna do it. And I finally admitted, look, if I tell you it's gonna be the straw that breaks the camel's back, it's gonna be the final thing, and then you're just gonna leave me and we're gonna be done. I don't wanna deal with that. And I don't even know where that got planted because my, my parents were married 37 years, great marriage, but somewhere in my head, I thought, you're not gonna love me anymore because I'm ugly and I'm, I'm a horrible person and you're just gonna leave me. And when I was able to tell her that, she told me this, John, look, 
I love you. I'm committed to you. And more importantly, when I said my vows, I said vows of commitment for better, for worse to you, but I said vows of commitment for better, for worse to God. I made a promise to God that I will be with you till death do us part. Love is a choice. I choose to love you. I'm committed to you. (laughs) Now, I may not like you right now. I may not want to be around you right now, but I will always be with you. And that was very freeing for me because now it it started that foundation of like, okay, we can talk about things. And, and, And that is just my point on conflict. You can deal with it in an ugly way and it can just destroy you or you can deal with it in a healthy way and it will make you stronger. So as we look at engaging conflict this morning, I wanna give us three tools that'll help us build our marriage relationships on the front side before we get to conflict. And I wanna give us five points to help us in the midst of conflict when you're dealing with it, when you're in it, as a guide to engage conflict in a healthy way. So again, conflict is normal. Healthy conflict provides growth. It provides an opportunity to come together as one. But if it's not dealt with in a healthy way, it's destructive and damaging. We need to have some rules to be able to guide and govern our lives with conflict. If there was only some kind of resource we could look to that we could use as a guide for our lives. (laughs) The Bible is a guide for our lives, right? If we look to the word of God and apply it, it helps guide our lives. So let's look at Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. So here's the command. It's real simple. We are to deal with our mates, with our spouses, as Christ deals with us. If you take nothing else away today, take this. What if we entered into conflict and disagreements with our spouse with the mindset of treating them like Christ treats us? I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm resentful. She did it again. He said this, pushed my button. What if we pause long enough to enter that conversation with a heart and a mindset of treating them like Christ treats us? Now, you'll still have conflict, But if you bear with one another, if you forgive one another, if you put on love and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it will come out differently. So let's unwrap some of this. Bearing with one another means that there are things that cause tension. There are certain things that just rub you the wrong way. And the longer that you allow someone to do that to you, They build tension in your relationship. And it's funny because in relationships, those things very much of the time are the things that attracted you to the person to begin with, right? So let's say um, he doesn't have a problem striking up a conversation. I just love that he can talk with me for hours. That's great. I love that. 
Five years later, I just can't stand how he constantly says something, always has something to say. He never stops talking. Bear with one another and deal with it in a positive way. Forgive one another means this. And Chris touched on this during that song. When your spouse hurts you, when someone hurts you, forgive them. Release it. Let it go. Forgiving means you're not holding it against them anymore. You no longer give it something that allows traction in the relationship to destroy it. You don't hold it against them. Forgiveness is a choice to not pay back someone for what they have done. When you forgive, you release it. If you don't, it will eat you up. It will destroy you. Now, let me be clear. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Okay? You can forgive a person, but that doesn't always mean that everything goes back to normal. It doesn't always mean that the relationship is restored. Sometimes, trust has to be built up again. Sometimes, it takes time to establish that relationship again. And sometimes that relationship may not be established again. In certain very abusive situations, that relationship may never be reestablished. You can forgive, but because it is unhealthy, something needs to be moved on. Now, again, I will say, I believe that God can do all things in marriage. He can restore, and he can change hearts, and he can work, right? Whoever has a complaint if it bothers you, if it's personal, and if it's going on, that requires a response, and that response is, just as the Lord forgave you, you forgive. You can speak to it and work through it, remedying it, using tools, but forgiveness is the key to that. It says, so that the peace of Christ rules in your hearts. Can we agree that we would love to rule in a world and have peace in our hearts all the time when we're walking around? But we live in a fallen and broken world, and we're gonna deal with conflicts, but we have a God that will provide peace. It's a relationship. And of course, we want that. So we need to embrace Christ in our lives and in our marriages. Now, in this passage, the author, Paul, he's talking to the whole church, okay? He's, he's writing this letter to the church going, hey, guys, this is how we're supposed to act. This is how we deal with relationships. If Christ is who we are and who is in us, then we deal with our relationships that way. But I think that we need to take Paul's advice to heart in our most important relationship, which is our marriage. If it's telling the entire church how to act, how more important is it that we make sure that we get this right in our marriages, the one that God has made for us to be united with as one? Now, a lot of conflict happens because we are tied to our way of thinking, right? We all grow up with different ideologies, different influences, different experiences, and we learn things a certain way, and then we meet someone, we fall in love with someone, we're drawn to them, we get engaged, we get married, and then our two worlds collide under one roof. And we have conflict because we both have our way of thinking and doing things a certain way. So think about this. If you as an individual, you have your way of thinking, if you as a vigil try to put your thinking in alignment with Christ and become a reflection of Christ, and both of you are going, how can I become the best reflection of Christ? Christ is a servant. How can I serve my wife? How can I serve my husband? If you're being the best example of Christ to one another, that helps to dispel conflict because you are no longer wanting your way, you're wanting Christ's way. 
You're humbling yourself before the Lord and going, I want you to be the center of my life. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What if that was the way we approached our spouses? We came with that. That would be the right way to enter conflict. Now, let me give you three tools on how we can build that loving relationship before we ever get to conflict. So here is here's a, an idea that I didn't make up, okay? I'm not that smart. But I want you to think of it this way. If we all have a bank account, we deposit money into that bank account, right? And then we take money out and we pay for things. Remember when you used to balance a checkbook back in the day? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that didn't come out right. If you don't have money in your account, you try to pay something, you're in a bad place. You're in the red. It doesn't work. Same thing. We all have a love account. We have a love account. We invest in it by doing things in a loving way for our spouse. The more you invest, the more you can withdraw. If you don't invest and love your spouse, when you go to withdraw, when that tension happens, when that disagreement happens and you're overdrawn, you're in a bad place. So you have to invest on the front side doing loving things. In both scenarios, it doesn't matter if you meant to withdraw. It doesn't matter if you have an excuse or even a good reason. If you withdraw on your bank account, it's bad. If you withdraw and overdraw on your love account, it's bad. So like for Amy and myself, we've learned that because we have a tendency to be extremely busy, uh, we have to be very deliberate on spending our quality time together and doing things. We have to do things to pause our crazy life and deposit into each other's love account. The other thing is this. Expect nothing, appreciate everything, okay? We set ourselves up because we have false expectations and we get let down. And then we start looking at our spouse in a negative way. Oh, I wish he would have done that. I wish she would have done that. What if we appreciate the things that we take for granted? The fact that, wow, she cooked a meal for me. I shouldn't expect that. She did that, that's awesome. He changed the oil in the car. I don't even know where the oil is. <laughs> Women can change oil too. I don't want to get notes. It's okay. Okay? What if we appreciate those things? What if we didn't expect things? See, unmet expectations and unrealistic expectations are the breeding ground for frustration. And not appreciating everyday blessings of your spouse, that breeds contempt and resentment. Taking things for granted. Think of this on the front end before you ever get to a confrontation. The idea is that if we are both working towards serving our spouse in a Christ-like way, we are building into that love account. So guys, I want you to write this down. I want you to tell Siri to remind you. I want you to take note. First tool is this. Your first tool on the front end, set up a date night. Set up a date night every week. Date your wife. Date your spouse. Court her. And get this, okay? It's not something you want to do, okay? It's something that you guys do together. And it's not just everyday run-of-the-mill things. It's not just something you do, oh, let's go to the store together, that's our date. No. Nope. I want to go buy the new video game at GameStop. Nope. Okay? What it is is this. It's an intentional, deliberate time of intimacy together. You can go to coffee you can go to breakfast, you can go to a movie, you could do those things, but it's spending time together and it's intimate time together. You're focusing on each other. Put your phones away. 
Put your phones away. Put them down. Leave them at home. Oh my goodness, I can't. No, leave it at home. Do something to where, you know, there was a time where we didn't communicate on cell phones. Right? Face to face. Face to face. Talk about some things. Don't get into fights. Just talk about things. Appreciate each other. Intimate times together. Okay? Remember the conversations you used to have when you were first dating? Remember the fun times you used to have? They were intimate. And as a married couple, hear me on this. It's okay to be intimate too. Y'all get me on that, right? (laughs) Okay. If you need, talk to me after. It's a G-rated service, people. Okay? Intimacy on a date night. The crazy thing is that we used to be able to do things we would want to spend time with our significant other forever. Here's the thing. Like, here's a story for me. Man, time goes by fast. Here's a story about my life, okay? When I was dating Amy, she was doing her credential. I was doing my credential. She was in an internship program teaching at McLean High School. She, she worked at Baker Square on the weekends. She had all this stuff going on. I was doing stuff, but I wanted to be with her. So I was intentional, deliberate, investing time. I drove from Fresno State side all the way over to the west side to Baker Square, way over there on a Saturday, got there around noon, sat in her station, ordered a patty melt, ate my patty melt, did my homework. She'd come and fill my tea. Hi, little conversations. Sat there at five o'clock, ordered my chicken pot pie. (laughs) Had my chicken pot pie. Ordered some dessert. I stayed there all day because I wanted to be deliberate in investing time with her because we didn't have a lot of time. Luckily, I was dating her. Otherwise, it would have been really creepy, right? <laughs> so that's the, that's the first tool, is a date night. Second tool is this, this book right here, Five Love Languages. It's a great book. Pastor Ricky touched on this a couple weeks ago in his sermon, The Five Love Languages. I'm gonna give you a condensed version of this. This book outlines how people are loved and how people receive love. And Gary Chapman, basically, over his time of counseling, figured out that there are five basic ways that people feel loved. One is gifts. That's pretty simple. You give something to someone. Give it to them. You thought of them. Oh, they just love it. The second one is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation are words of encouragement. You did a great job. Thank you for doing that. Number three is physical touch. A hug, holding a hand, putting your arm around someone. Physical touch. Stop it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Acts of service. Those are intentional things that you do for someone because you want to do it for them. Quality time. Quality time is spending time together, being with one another, being together. Those are the five love languages. And the way it works usually is the way you're wired to receive love is how you give love. That's the weird thing, okay? So I'm gonna bring my wife up at this point in time because we're gonna talk about this as a couple because I think you need to hear her side of the story as much as my side of the story. So I'm gonna bring Amy up. You look beautiful. Thank you. That doesn't do anything for her, by the way. (laughs) See, I'm words of affirmation. Tell me I'm doing a great job. Tell me I'm wearing a good shirt. All that good stuff. And my close second is quality time. You? Acts of service. Oh, man. Amen. (laughs) 
No. Somebody said amen. I know, but still, acts of service. And second is? Second is quality time. Quality time. time. So we're like, we do everything together. We're weird. We like go to the store together, everything, right? But words of affirmation, it worked this way in in our marriage, okay? We were missing it because it's like speaking a foreign language, okay? If you don't know the, the language, you go to a foreign country, you don't know the language, you are lost. I speak words of affirmation. Amy, you look beautiful today. Amy, thank you for making that dinner. What does that do for you? Nothing. Right? And then what do you do? I cook dinner, I clean the house, I do the laundry, I take care of the kids and get them ready. And why? Because I love you or love them. And they're acts And I want to provide for them. Right? Acts of service. For me, I'm like, that's cool. She's got it all handled. Thank you. <laughs> nope. Doesn't do anything. Right? So we were building tension. And in about our seventh year of marriage, it, it, I mean, I was doing ministry and I was teaching. Uh, she was teaching and coaching. And we had a crazy schedule and, and we were missing it. And so someone at our church gave us this book and said, hey, read this book. And we read this book. What, what would you say was your biggest takeaway on that book? Uh, it was, you know, one of those eye-opening moments of like, oh, this makes sense when it paralleled it with like linguistics. If, if somebody's saying something in a different language, you can't really understand it or receive it. So he was always telling me how, uh, how I looked nice, how I did a good job at something or whatever. And all I wanted him was to like do the dishes, put the dishes in the dishwasher, you know? And so he was doing all these things. And in his mind, because that's the, his primary language, he thought he was showing me love. And it wasn't really doing much for me. And I was like, just pick up after yourself. I'm folding the laundry here. Do you think you could help? You know, is, is what I was thinking in my mind. And he wasn't doing that. So I was not receiving any love because he was giving me the wrong love. He was talking a different language. So when we read this book, it was like, ah, like both of us had this aha moment. And I would like to say that once you have that aha moment, then it's easy. It's like, you know what the next step is, but it's hard doing that. Okay. Because he didn't want to do the dishes. He didn't want to fold the laundry. And just to be clear, I'm not lazy, okay? I'm not lazy. I just, I don't like doing those things. I don't embrace those things. I like doing other things. Neither do I. <laughs> but it goes back to that's how I was showing my love, to keep the house, to, to provide meals for him so that we could spend time for each other. And so someone had to do it. And so I was doing that because I felt like that's how I was showing my love to him. And he wasn't receiving that. In some ways, it was a negative. Bless you. Um, he was, he, you know, because I was not giving him what he needed, which were the words of affirmation. And, and the book talks about um, different dialects even within the five love languages. So it's not just words of affirmation, like you did a great job, but it's also words of encouragement. And it's also um, kind words and humble words. And so I would say, like, he, you know, he'd load the dishwasher and he wanted me to say, good job on loading the dishwasher, right? And I'm like, it needs to get done. If you don't do it, I'm doing it. So why should I praise you for something that you should do is where I was. But, <laughs> but then, you know, so what I want to say is it takes time, just like learning a language, right, in linguistics, it takes time. It's very hard. It's very arduous. You got to keep practicing at it to get more fluent. But prayer goes a long way, too, because 
Amen, yeah. When you pray to God, there is something supernatural because without that, we're just, again, trying to do things on our own. And I think when you put God at the center of that and you ask him for the power uh, from him, there's something supernatural that happens, that goes before you, that works on his heart, that works on my heart when we're not even with each other. And, um, you know, just like the song that we sang today and Chris introduced about humbling yourself, saying, I'm broken, help me. God could go in there. It doesn't happen immediately all the time. Okay, don't think like, oh, aha, I'm supposed to do this, that everything's going to be better. Because think about how much time you've been living and doing things a certain way that that person has eaten up and, you know, gotten used to. You got to change that. That's going to take some time. So you need God's strength and God's power to change you. And so it got, you know, I'm also ruled a lot by like, truth and rightness and things. So I was like, I can't tell you you did a good job on this because now I'm just lying. It's not a good job. It's just a job. Like, what's so good about it? But I learned like the other things too, just being humble and kind about that. Uh, Someone just said this recently. I don't even remember who it was, but they said, and it just, ooh, it struck me. Sometimes you're worried more about being right than you are about being kind. And I was like, ooh ouch, that's me. And um, so I had to learn to say it, it in a humble way, not just, can you do the dishes? <laughs> the dishes aren't the only thing, but that's our example, right? Can you do the dishes, please? You know, um, and, and how you say it, like, please, I said please. And he's, that's not love. For, he's not receiving that as love. But if I say like, hey, I liked how you helped with the dishes yesterday while I was putting the food away. Do you think you could help me with that again? And he was like encouraged by that, and it was said in a okay. nice way. Yeah, he's like, okay. Let me do that again. And then when he would do those things, then I would say, thank you, because it made a difference. I was like, thank you so much for helping me with that. Then that made him feel good. So then he would want to do more things for me. So there was this like reciprocal thing. It's and like, we started so- speaking the language of love, right? So that's the whole thing with that. Is that, that is how it's supposed to work. And the other thing that she touched upon is this, this is just a quick thing, is when you're together for a long time, you naturally automatically hear tone. You hear tone in what your wife or your husband says. You gotta let that go, okay? You gotta come humbly, clothe yourselves in, in those things because they may not be speaking that way, but that's how you hear it. Because there's been times where she tries the sweetest way and somehow I'm just like, well, here she goes again. And I have to pray and go, let me hear my wife. Let me hear what she has to say. Thank you for coming up and sharing that with me. You got something You're to welcome. say? No, I'm just going to say, you know, we're messed up people. The sooner you can well, grab up. a hold of that, the better, right? We need God in our lives in every aspect, but definitely in our marriage where we're with someone 24-7, we can't do it on our own. We, <laughs> we would have all been divorced already. But um, we, we need to really look to God to help us and guide us in those ways. That's all I'm going to say. Love you, baby. Amen. I, I'm blessed to have uh, Amy. She's an awesome, awesome um, spouse to have. And we've done a lot of things together and, and we've worked through things. Um, and God has, has done tremendous through that. Um, on that, I want to give you your third tool. Okay, this, this is something that, that I think is just a good thing to have posted. And you could check your heart with this. It's called the heart test. 
We're, some of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? It says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs or being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never ever loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Amen? Amen. Now I want you to take that. I want you to take the word love out. I want you to put your name there. That's your heart test. John is patient. Whoops, failed right there. John is patient and kind. John is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. John does not demand his own way. <laughs> John is not irritable and keeps no record of being wrong. John does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. John never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Wow, that's a test, right? But what it does is it reminds you that if I'm supposed to be Christ-like, Christ is love, right? How can I be like love? Just start with that What John is patient. God, help me have patience. Pray every day. Help me to be kind. Work through that. That is a heart test. So we have those three things. Date night, five love languages, your heart test. That's on the front end. On the back end, I wanna give you these five tools when you're in the middle of an argument. I call it D. Fuse. Okay, I didn't get this myself. I got this from a pastor named Chip Ingram. Chip Ingram is a great, great man of God. He's been married a long time. He's the CEO of Living on the Edge, which is an international teaching and discipleship ministry. He's been married close to 50 years. And we stumbled upon this because we were in a small group and we did a small group study called uh, Good to Great in God's Eyes, 10 Practices Great Christians Have in Common. So I got this from Chip. And this, I tweaked a little bit to kind of make it my own. But the D in diffuse stands for define. Define the problem. I need you to remember this, okay? In an argument or conflict, you are not the problem. Your spouse is not the problem. The problem is the problem. The two are one. You are on the same team. We call ourselves Team Ecker. We have to remind ourselves, hey, Team Ecker, okay? Because when one fails, we both fail. You cannot win the battle without losing the war. When you are pitted against one another in a conflict, the second you win, your spouse loses. Your team loses. You have lost. In an argument, there are either two winners or there are two losers. So remember, you are one. You need to define the problem together. And sometimes it may be beneficial to have an outside couple come in and go, this is what I see, and come alongside you. The F stands for feel. Feel their pain. If someone told, has told you, you hurt me, it's not your job to say, no, I didn't. You can't argue with feelings. And I give you this tool. When you're talking, use, when you do this, it makes me feel this. When I'm talking and you're on your phone, it makes me feel that you don't value me. When I work at, at this all day long and then you don't even call to let me know you're gonna be late, it makes me feel you don't even love me. And recognize that. Feel their pain. Don't, don't rationalize it. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It doesn't have to be logical. That's how they feel. You don't even have to make an excuse. Receive it. That's part of understanding your spouse. When you enter into a conflict, we automatically attack or defend. I mean, it's called a conflict, right? 
So we are taught to fight and defend. So I give you this. When you enter a conflict, don't bring any weapons or shields. Don't get ready to fight back. Don't sit there and defend yourself. Receive it. I feel this way. I'm sorry you feel that way. The Bible puts it this way. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I say that prayer when I'm in a conflict. God, help me be slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen. Let me hear what my wife is saying. If we are to be more and more Christ-like and grow into a reflection of who he is, think about it this way, okay? If we wanna be like Christ, think about it this way. He was beaten, bruised, mocked, put on a cross, and died, rose again. During that whole time, he didn't defend himself. He didn't fight off the guards. He could, have count, he could have had armies of angels show up, but he took it all. And this is what he said. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In an argument, side note, eliminate these words. You should, you ought, you always, you never. Don't say that. Learn not to say that. Learn to speak love languages. The you means to uncover the root of the problem. There are symptoms and roots of the problem. When you argue, it's usually not what you're arguing about. There's a deeper root involved in that. So if you're arguing about money, the root is this. You guys have different values. You don't see it the same way. Usually there is a spender and a saver. So you're already needing to come to an agreement on that. It could be power or control. If you're arguing about intimacy, it could be communication. You're not talking to each other. You're not talking about filling each other's needs and what you need. Unmet emotional needs are the root of that problem. If you're dealing with in-laws, that's the argument. This is the root of the problem, loyalty. You're more for your parents than you are for your spouse, right? Or expectations. Children and work, the root of the problem is roles. Define your roles. What are you doing? And here's the thing. It's not, I'm going to do this and do this, and we do 50-50, and we kind of share it. No. What if you strive to do 100%? I'm going to do 100% because I'm serving my wife. I'm going to do 100%. I'm all in. I'm going to load the dishwasher, wash the car, take care of the kids. And what if that person were doing the same thing? Then it's not a laundry list of like, mm, see, I do more than you. No. Define your roles and goals. So uncover the root of the problem. S stands for set things right between you. This is where humility comes into play. You've got to own your responsibilities, people. We've got to own it. By owning it, we hear it, we receive it, we take it in, and then we confess, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Hard words, but if you learn them, it will turn things around. You don't have to defend. You don't have to justify. I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. Check your heart. The third part of setting things right is ask for forgiveness. Don't harbor it. Ask for it. Will you forgive me? You need to do that. And you shouldn't settle for it. It's okay. It's all right. No. Push through. Will you forgive me? Yes. And when you respond, really mean it. Yes, I forgive you. I won't hold it against you anymore. Because we all have been in arguments where all of a sudden something comes up from way back when, right? 
If you forgive, let it go. That's what your Father, Heavenly Father did for you. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The E stands for establish. Establish a specific action plan that addresses what you discussed. Here's the action plan. Write it down. Take some time as you're going through it, as you're in the middle of a conflict. Try to go through this diffuse thing. And I know this is a lot. And I know it's really quick. But we can have these resources for you. But I need you to write this down. As a husband and a wife, I commit to this by this time. I commit to dating you by this week. I commit to being to dinner on time every time we have dinner together starting this week. I commit to hearing what you have to say without being on my phone. Whatever those are. And I know that those are small things, but you know what you deal with. You know what you need to resolve. What do you need to commit to? And when do you need to commit to it? by? Make it happen. Don't put it off. Because here's the key. The other part of that, once you say, I commit to this by this time, then set a date that you're going to talk about it again. Not argue about it, talk about it. Let's check in. Because here's the thing. We push it under the rug and the next time we talk about this is when we're in a conflict again. Talk about it on the front end. Talk about it reasonably. Hey, I know we talked about this last week. You said you were gonna do this, but, but, it, but I didn't say it happened. Think about this. I didn't see it happen. Could, could we just pray together real quick on that? What if you prayed together more often? It's a powerful tool for healing. Make a plan, start putting it in place. Because here's the thing, I don't even know if you guys have a plan. Do you guys have a plan on how you deal with conflict? If you do, how's that plan working for you? Put a plan into place so that you can deal with it in a healthy way. So here's the thing. I'm gonna challenge you this week. I want you to take one of those points and implement it. I want you to take one of those tools and implement it. I want you to take one of those points and implement it. Try to define the problem you're dealing with. Talk about your problems and, and feel your spouse's issues. Uncover the root of the problem. Set it right. Put a plan into place. Marriage is hard. I don't have all the answers. I don't even know why somebody wanted to marry me. I'm so messed up. Right? It takes work. It takes support. So on the outside of conflict, I want you to do this. I want you to surround yourself with wise counsel. Proverbs says this, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Find wise counsel. Your oikos, those godly people that are around you in your life. Find a small group, get connected. Do life with people because they see what's going on and they come alongside you and they pray for you and they work with you and some of them have gone before you and they can mentor you. So that's the, that's the other piece. Find people that have been married longer than you. Mentor. People that have married a long time, find young couples. Shed light on things. Hey, we went through that. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. This is how we dealt with it. Find godly people to mentor you. And sometimes if, if, I mean, if it's an issue that does not go away, get counseling. It's okay. Professional counseling is helpful. Finding people that have ways of resourcing, Christian counselors, pastors. It's good to be surrounded by godly relationships. Those people that are around you that can walk you through life and that have gone before you. Here's the thing with that. Okay, women, counsel with women. Men, counsel with men. Couples, counsel with couples. Don't, don't switch that. 
Men don't counsel with women. Women don't counsel with men. That gets dangerous. Slippery slope. Okay? But at the center of it all, we need God to be on our team. God to be the center of our relationships. And we need to put our faith in God. If you don't have Jesus in the middle of your relationship, you need to start there. We can't put our faith in ourselves or in our spouse. They're gonna let us down every time. They're people, they're flawed. But we need to put our faith in the one who made us. We need to put our faith in God. And what does faith look like? Faith looks like this. Faith is believing in God's character and God's promises to the point of acting upon them. You believe so much that you trust God and have faith in him to the point of allowing him into every aspect of your life, allowing him to enter the center of your marriage and work in your heart, allowing him to be the referee in those conflicts, allowing him to speak to your hearts and obey what he is telling you to do. If you don't, you're doing it on your own power. And we're basically saying, hey, God, I could take care of it. I'm better than you are. You're telling that to the wary one who created the entire universe. So remember, there is an all-powerful, all-knowing God who sent his son Jesus, who died and rose from the dead. If you don't know him, we're gonna be down here at the end of service. Come up, we would love to talk to you about who Jesus is. When you put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and that power that dwells inside of you will work on your behalf. He will work in your marriage, he will work in your life, he will work in the midst of struggle and conflict and apart from him, apart from him, you can do nothing. But in Christ, you can do all things. Amen? So put him at the center of your relationships, at the center of your marriage, and remember this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Amen? I hope this has been helpful for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, again, we come before you and we humbly seek you, Lord. I thank you for the hearts in this room, Lord. I thank you for the couples in this room. I thank you for the couples online, Lord. And we pray your blessing upon them. We pray that as we have looked into your word, you would reveal yourself as only you can, Lord. We would pray that we would take to heart what we had heard, that we wouldn't just walk out the doors and go, it's another day, but we would say, Lord, let me use what you have given me. Let me use your word. Let me use these tools. Let me try to diffuse the situations that are in our life, Lord, and let it honor you. Let me be clothed in tender hearted mercy, patience, kindness, and love. Let me be an example to my spouse of who you are. And Lord, let me seek you every day before I even take a step out of bed. Let me pray to you and have you set my day. Lord, I just thank you again for our time. I pray that it would be a, a time that would draw us closer to you and that uh, we would understand the love you have for us. We would grow deeper in our faith and understanding and our love for you, Lord. Bless us, be with us, guard, guide, and protect us. And Lord, again, just light our path as we seek you, Lord. We thank you. In your name we pray, amen.